wanted to say that um, a long time ago, we were waiting and waiting to see where God would take us. And we waited seven years. That's a long time. And then we came here to a small place (laughs) in the corner of the USA. And what we found was a great passion for Jesus Christ in a small group of people. And that small group of people who we'd heard about New Englanders being taciturn, independent, cold, lies, all lies. (laughs) We were embraced. It was like um, coming home. And after seven years, it was wonderful. So this small group with this great passion for Jesus and the great heart for us has been our home and is our family. And, and I know that God is continuing to work. He used us for a while, but he's not stopping. So whatever he has, go for it because he is faithful and he is true and he is marvelous and the adventure is the wildest ride you'll ever have. This is my clock that I put up here because I am German and I'm a type A. (laughs) I'm even going to not mute my mic when I drink. from the inspired, infallible, and errant, authoritative word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the, yeah, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. What a coincidence. Chuck Swindoll. And I knew that guy was reading my stuff. He said, you know, if only I could get a letter from Bill Cripe. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Yeah, sports fans were there, and we've been there. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
honestly, the uh, all the kudos and accolades and comments and personal stories that I've been hearing since I announced, um, they're, they're so, truly so humbling because as any pastor knows, any pastor, um, you know, there's only so much that we can do. There's a lot that we often want to do. But it only takes a couple of voices or personalities to bring things to a crashing halt and to make life miserable for the pastor and his family and especially his wife. Coincidentally, Chuck Swindoll, who wrote that letter, see my, 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 uh, my goal before I ever entered pastoral ministry was in my preaching, I wanted to be a blend of Charles Swindoll and John MacArthur. And I ended up a lot more John MacArthur than Chuck Swindoll, but uh, that was always my goal in mind, and uh, I am really honored that this, again, this body would have the wherewithal to remember such things like that as they've done so in the past with... Uh, uh, this uh, unknown author, Max Lucado. Um, at any rate, um, it takes, it truly takes a, a, a unified effort in the body of Christ to do anything. And I say that even with the Lord's help. That almost sounds blasphemous. Because God's ways will not be thwarted. No, in the ultimate, they will not be thwarted, but Pastors know, and how many churches throughout Christendom in church history we've witnessed the flotsam and jetsam of churches that have been shipwrecked and people's lives that have been damaged and hurt because of, again, personalities, sin not dealt with, um, more personalities, power struggles, and this weird thing called ownership. It's my church. All those things were in our mind, not to uh, forget again why I mentioned Chuck Swindoll, is that he started his pastoral career one state to the south in Massachusetts. And Chuck Swindoll, who was a nobody then, by his own admission and story, crashed and burned hard in Massachusetts. And in fact, he said, the best sight that I ever had was the look of Massachusetts and New England in my rearview mirror. So we received all kinds of encouraging things like this before we ever came here. <laughs> Truly we did. People have got New England. And they, by this time I'd heard about Swindoll and they'd say, well, you know what happened to Swindoll? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 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 I got it. Thank you. Well, we came and... As I've said, you were, we were discombobulated totally because Barb and I knew that we were coming here before you guys ever knew. And yet, we got that call that day that said, we're asking somebody else to come and candidate. And that's usually just a formality at that point in the process. And so both of us were just kind of uh, reeling at, what did we misread? Um, and so I was candidating uh, because it was local in the city of Itasca, little church, 
sitting on the, a free church, sitting on literally probably from here to the end of this auditorium was the barbed wire fence for the beginning of the runway where the 747s would come into O'Hare Field. And while I was candidating there and preaching for them over a six-week period, you'd have to just stop every now and then and wait for the, for the jet to land because you weren't hearing anything in all. And uh, I can't even tell you in just within the last month on my Friday prayer loop, which many of you know what that is, thanking the Lord over and over again. And Barb just said this to me a couple of days ago. You know, we, we, we could have ended up in Itasca because we were ready to take that church. Um, and they didn't want me either. <laughs> so anyway, we stayed the course. Uh, we had been planting a church out of our home, which was actually going quite well. And then we got the call from this church and said, well, we've exhausted those who are willing to come out. <laughs> no, they, you didn't say that. And uh, they brought us out here. And I'm telling you, it was, it was truly love at first sight. There was just such an incredible bond between the handful of people that were here at that time um, that very short in that little three-day weekend or whatever it was where we spent time together, it, uh, it became uh, this little uh, thing going back and forth that whenever we were talking, we'd say, well, if we are called and if, you know, you accept us. And then when they would talk, they'd say, and if we call you and if we accept you. And it was such a foregone conclusion because it was so obvious <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that uh, it's just the way it unfolded. And uh, we came, and I told somebody very recently that I still feel like we're in the honeymoon period. And if you don't know what that is in churchdom, uh, they call the first year in pastoral ministry the honeymoon period, when things are going pretty, 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 you know, even keeled, even maybe, a, even maybe a little excitement. They still like the pastor because they don't really know him. And then after that year, they kind of get to know things and the warts and the pimples start coming out of he and his family and everything else. And then it's just kind of like this. And so the duration of pastoral ministry tends to be very short. But like I said, the Lord had other plans and he did a house cleaning of the church that we were coming out to. They had been about 120 people at their peak under Pastor Doug Welch, who I, I got to know because he stayed in the New England area. And uh, a lot of people left the church, as they often do, when the pastor, you know, when he's the it for a very small church, the pastor leaves. A lot of people leave with him for a number of reasons. And uh, But what the Lord did was he removed those individuals who would never have bought into the vision that I came to this church with because I did have a very clear vision of what God had in store for faith. And so we inherited, what, I don't know, 20, 28 adults maybe. Um, and if you are here this morning, by the way, if you were here on that, uh, you know, the, that first September of 1990, would you stand up? Because I know there's not many left. There weren't many to begin with. Yeah. Now, did I not see Ken and Nona? Because, I mean, Ken's kind of hard to miss. Okay. Anyway, Ken and Nona and Kirian were also among them. 
and uh, Tom St. Germain, who's uh, next to Alan Imes, is my best bud. Um, Tom is, well, stand up again, Tom, just I want them to see your, your height. Okay, Tom's not a small guy, and Ken Kirian is 6'7", and the two of them were standing, you know, me, or was it Don Boos? Maybe it was Don Boos, who again is, is the same size. And I felt like, you know, Gulliver going to the, the voyage to the Lilliputians, right? And I was a Lilliputian there. But anyway, um, I really don't want to, well, I do want to talk a long time, but I, I won't. It took a lot of people to make things happen, people who were willing to let this guy come and uh, do things that they were not used to. And that at that time, Maine was not, New England was not used to. In fact, the Bible-believing evangelical church, non-charismatic, was not used to. And I came in this, as this strange kind of hybrid because the Lord did a lot of work on me over a 10-year period. And this whole idea of charismatic, non-charismatic, what, what is that? Just get rid of it. You know, we love Jesus. We have different means of expression of worship and you know, all of that. And it's like, get rid of it. In fact, my goal when I came here was to somehow, in some way, join pastors of the community who were from Bible-believing churches to join together, okay, under the person of Jesus Christ and salvation and justification by faith alone, and so I formed the Central Maine Evangelical Pastors Association, affectionately called SAMIPA by me, a terrible acronym, but it was the best I could come up with. And uh, Alan Imes Church was part of that, Calvary Temple, then Calvary Temple, now Centerpoint was part of that. Blessed Hope, you saw Pastor Mike Alex was part of that. What was Mountaintop and is now Jamie Dixon and Kingdom Life on uh, High Street in Oakland was part of that. And trying to think who else that that may that may have been the beginning i don't, i don't remember, and the Lord blessed that for ten years that we met and i 'll probably mention that a little bit in just a minute here, but at the very beginning, it was you know solo pastor in a very small church, and I needed help from the beginning just because one man literally you do everything, everything from answering the phone to getting the mail <clears throat> to getting to mail inside joke there. Um, to answering the phone and all of that stuff. And Beverly St. Germain stepped up and she volunteered. And I was thinking about that this morning because you had four, four little kids at the time. And I was wondering how you did that. But anyway, Beverly, just raise your hand. Yeah. She was my first secretary on a volunteer basis. And then a few years later, um, we were able to actually hire Somebody and we brought on uh, this woman who was a Mainer but had been away for a long time and living in the islands of St. Martin and uh, with two little boys and a single mom. And they came back here and Allison Polizis became my first paid secretary and I think lasted about eight years or so. Allison, where are you? I think you're here. Oh, there you are. And then after Allison, someone, what, what was her name? Oh, Dory, Dory Sprawl. Where is, where are you, Dory? Oh, there you are. And Dory, um, she's, she makes me get the mail. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Dory's been now with me for almost 20 years herself. 
Some people have no sense, but <laughs> it all worked to my advantage. In those early days, of course, uh, everything was, was volunteer. Um, John McGowan, who again, another six, seven foot person. Seriously, I mean, I was like, what the heck? And Nona, who is the antithesis of six, seven, known as what? Five feet, maybe? And John and Nona were the uh, volunteer youth staff and uh, did some amazing things with our, our youth group, a developing youth group in those days. And then Aaron Shorey became our first paid part-time youth pastor. And then Danny Kirian um, was our first, I think, full-time paid youth pastor. And then Pastor Matt and now Pastor Gary. But, uh, uh, and I also need to mention, too, that in back in those days with the, the children's ministries, Sharon Emery, who I know is way, way in the back there, Sharon Emery was our volunteer little CM person for the littles. And then uh, Mary Ann Kirian, who you saw singing up here today, became, our I think, our first full-time paid uh, children's ministries director. And then followed by Janet Johnson, who who, again, was one of the original standing up as a 16-year-old, I think, or 15-year-old um, when I came. Um, and again, I've mentioned this before, but her maiden name is Janet Lee. And the building, the, the room next door, the B. Lee Center, is was Janet's mom. And it was named after her because of her passion for uh, fellowship and having fellowship functions and all of that. And uh, we were growing over at Rice Rips Road, and we brought on, believe it or not, and these, these people thus far now have all, were all just part of the church. And I didn't have some philosophy of some, as some churches do that, no, we, we recruit by intention from within. It never entered my mind as a, a protocol. It just evolved that way to where the persons that we needed and the particular talent and strengths, they were there in our own body. And so uh, a principal at a little Christian school, a Canaan Christian, uh, retired Marine Corps major, Major Dennis Gagnon, who was part of our congregation. Um, he resigned as principal up there, and they were just fellowshipping with us, and I needed uh, an associate for the first time in our, our growing little church. And Dennis was our first full-time associate. And then Dennis, uh, Dennis left after a few years and moved out of state, and right about the time, it was a little bit before we were looking at relocating or building a new building because we were landlocked. And we started, uh, you know, thinking about buying the movie theater that came up for sale. And, of course, all the renovations that would have to take place in that. As it turned out, another family that was part and parcel of faith um, and a former pastor and seminary trained man was John Harding, who was also a contractor in his uh, diverse career pursuits and everything. And so John replaced Dennis Gagnon as our next associate pastor and was also the one that spearheaded everything except for the hub, because that was very, very late, that you see from this building and that building back, uh, the youth building from Pastor John, who's over here somewhere. Um, and then after John Harding, again, came... I think, I think our first person that we ever hired outside the church. And that was this guy from Massachusetts who had very little experience in a very small church as a, like a, a, a lay leader, if you will, to the pastor. And 
but was working in sales or some such thing. Yeah, whatever. Management of a, I don't know, something out there in the business world. And uh, I figured, hey, you know, he's right in the neighborhood. What the heck? You know, it won't cost us much to bring him up here. Let's bring him up and talk to him. And, of course, Pastor Brent then became my right-hand man. And uh, for 15 years and uh, going. This church extended phenomenal trust in me. When we were this bitty church, and you can imagine what the, you know, the repercussions that has on finances and everything else, I had this, this idea, because I was writing for the newspaper, and, you know, we had our, our rabid fans of looking up and Bill Cripe, and we had many, many thousands more who were rabid haters of faith and Bill Cripe and all of all of that, and I thought, you know, we need to do something both to get out into the community more and to do something for the community. And I had this vision to hold Christmas Eve outside of a church building, okay, where it wouldn't be intimidating or denomination and all that that baggage can carry for people, and decide, you know what, let's let's rent out the opera house. Well, again, our church, man, we, we was Poe. We were Poe. And... uh the church just signed right on to that. Um, and that cost us over $2,000, which for, again, this bitty, bitty church for, for this one night thing, and they didn't even blink. And again, both by intention, but also out of fear for the, the phenomenal embarrassment, right, of doing something like that. And there's our church by that time of maybe 120 people in the 850 seat opera house. And boy, wouldn't look, wouldn't that look great? You know, cause we were inviting the community and all of that. And I thought, you know what? Let's keep the pastors involved that we were growing close to each other. Um, again, Alan Imes. And at that time it was John Wentworth and then Pastor Craig after him and all. And again, Mountaintop with Rich Brink and uh, Pastor Tim Setzer at, at Blessed Hope. We said, let's do a joined Christmas Eve service to send a, a message to the community around here that while summer, you know, there's, ba- oh, and, and uh, no, that's right, I didn't include Winslow Baptist at that time um, because they didn't want to be included. Uh, <laughs> no, Pastor Frank was, was actually my, my mentor when I came here, and he and I were very close until he moved. Um, but anyway, so, so we joined together, had all the pastors on stage, um, and it truly was this combined Christmas Eve service. And again, I remember that first one. And I was like, oh, this could be, you know, again, if you go out there, you know what it's like to come in here and there's, you know, even 50 people in here. The place is empty. And we went out there that first year and I looked. And, of course, the first level, which I didn't even know, only has 350 seats in it. No seats open at all. And then the balcony, there were just people all the way around. And the only seats that were not taken um, were the wooden foldable old stage seats that had never been replaced by the comfortable ones that were in the nosebleed section um, way, way in the top. And so I just, I looked at that and I went, oh my goodness. And if it works for Christmas Eve, why not Easter at the Opera House? And we did that for, I'm going to say, I think eight or nine years 
uh, something like that, until we came over here in this building. And uh, that was uh, those those two services were always just the highlight. I think of of not not just uh, of the year, but of the ministry here, just because of all that it represented with uh, what the what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Amen. You know. So, um, my best friend Alan, thank you. And I know Pastor Craig had to leave, and I'm just so touched that uh, they're coming. Uh, Jamie Dixon, who's now the pastor over at, uh, like I said, Kingdom Life. We used to be Mountaintop. Um, Jamie is a very special young man and a very talented and gifted young man and uh, looking for really neat things coming out of there, which they're already uh, coming out of there, and it's great. And there's other pastors. You saw Pastor Randy up here and all. Um, kind of a tight-knit group of men, again, cross all kinds of denominational barriers, keeping only Jesus Christ crucified and risen again as the focal point. I don't know why that's so hard elsewhere, but... But to faith, and uh, this is the hardest part. I know that a lot of people, Christians in general, even just talk about the church, their church family and all that. And I get it. And that's great. And that's meaningful. But you really have been in, in our Barb and my family because of geographical, you know, separation from the rest of the uncivilized world now as it is in the United States. Our children are, are far and wide for the most part and everything. And, and, and our, my relatives, they're all back in the Midwest. And so you have been our, our, our traditions. And uh, Chip and Betty Jane, Bessie, um, right here in front, they from... I'm going to say from the get-go, uh, even when our kids were still home, uh, they knew, you know, again, our families and everything were far away, and they always do Christmas Eve at their house, and they invited Barb and me and our kids, and our kids already had some relationship with their kids anyway, at least our son. And uh, Ethan, who you may have heard of them, uh, they, were, uh, they had a smash um, band called One Fried Chicken, and... <laughs> They actually got airtime on the radio, and I remember uh, my son Billy's excitement when he got a check in the mail one day, a royalty check. <laughs> and I don't remember what it was. I think he had to split it with Ethan, though. And, you know, it was like a dollar thirty-seven or something. <laughs> but that wasn't the point, okay? Uh, but anyway, um, our Christmas Eve was spent with the Bessies for really up until the time I started dealing with this strange disease that we didn't know what it was at the time. Uh, and then attendance became a little iffy and all, but spent a good 25 years, I'm going to say, with the Bessies every Christmas Eve. And thank you so much. Jesus said, if you do not love me more than these, and he talks about you know brother, sister, father, mother, your children, and even your own life, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And so our goal in life for our family, for our children, was always we just wanted you to be right on the heels of Jesus. 
And if that takes you to parts far and wide, then God bless it. And so there's, there's a price to that. And that price has been pretty heavy. But we wouldn't change a thing. And the Lord, though, you know, our grandchildren, we, we barely know them. The ten of them barely know them. Provided us with so many grandchildren in this church. And single-handedly, the Smalls had a huge part in that. Um, The only time I've known Pastor Brent to really be a staunch literalist was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So... You've heard me refer to the plumb lines here at Faith. We have 15 of them, um, and I trust that they'll be reiterated time and again as appropriate throughout our time here. The plumb lines are things that we brought down to 15 points of those sorts of elements that have been part and parcel of all that faith is and need to remain, kind of the non-negotiables in one way, shape, or another, although some, some certainly could be negotiable. But I want to give you my top three And they're not in order from the way they're listed on the things. But first, number one is number one listed. Our highest priority is to study the word, know the word, apply the word, and preach the gospel. And just uh, yesterday, I was going through, um, you know, packing up my office. I had a little black notebook before computers where I'd written out my sermon notes from way back, actually from 1986. And I just happened to open it. And I saw something I I highlighted on the very first page, and it was called the proposition. And I I labeled it prop, because that's the way I was taught in seminary. You see, I'd only been out of seminary about a year then. And here was the proposition to that sermon. If our experience of God is allowed to supersede the word of God, our demise is close at hand. And I just thought, wow. You know, even back then, the bullseye, stay on it. Do not deviate. And so that was just really kind of a a fun encouragement to me to see that. Number two, we let scripture, you probably never heard this, (laughs) interpret scripture. And number eight on the list, but my number three is personal integrity is essential for continued service. And I would add, and blessing. There is one unwritten one that uh, I came up with, and that is never pass up the prerogative to preach on a perplexing pericope. (laughs) So so while I've been here, you know that my my pattern and habit has been take a word, uh, take the word of God, take a a book of the Bible and preach it from beginning to end. And in my head, I didn't have a law or a rule about it. Well, you have to do this and, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. You do that. But in my head, it was like, you know, I, you know, I kind of would like to do that. For one, Old Testament gets pretty tedious. Uh, New Testament tends to be a bit easier and a lot easier kind of to preach through and, and apply. So for my sake, <laughs> I want to go Old Testament, New Testament break, Old Testament and a break for you all and all that. And so anyway, did that through the years. Again, not keeping tabs on things per se, but uh, in the back, the, you're going to see, okay, these are the, um, the Old Testament books that I have taught through cover to cover since I've been here, and there are 19 of them, and then 
just by coincidence, the New Testament books that I've taught through since I've been here, and I added them up, this, and I went, well, look at that. <laughs> a complete 50-50 split right down the middle. Uh, and then along the way, there were, you know, relatively few, but various series and things that I did for one reason or another. Well, I will wrap this up. This is the Acts 14 um, verse, Kelly, Jen. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness. Again, later on, just a little bit in Acts chapter 14. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And with that, I want to ask our... if Well, you know what, let me... Let me, for the sake of stepping on toes, I mean literally, not what I usually do, stepping on toes, getting out of the aisle and everything else, let me have all the elders here at Faith please stand. And stay standing because I'm going to uh, pray for you all. And, of course, I trust you know Ronnie Dunbar, who doubles as the uh, sound guy, um, has been a long, long time elder. So, Jim Higgs, Paul Halley, Don Cole, Ronnie Dunbar. Scott Ludick is one of our elders. Of course, he can't be here because of all that's going on with dear Amy, his wife. Um, The Word of God, this is what it says. And I use this as a charge to our elders. I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, continuing, my word, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Father in heaven, you see our elders. You have blessed this church with men whose hearts are completely yours. And I pray, O God, you just continue your anointing to be upon them and to flow through them. And I thank you, Lord Jesus. And for Mike Phillips, O God, joining with us, and for Tom Sheridan, one of our newest young, getting ready, Lord, to assume that mantle as well. Fill them all with your spirit. And keep them faithful and diligent and above reproach to the glory and praise of your name, to the service of this flock. In Jesus' name, amen. And again, thank you guys. Over the years, the stories are infamous of churches again and pastors that have become, have been shipwrecked because of the infighting between the pastor 
and the leadership team or the elder team or the church board or whatever it's called in various churches. And again, I have had, with one exception, it happened, well, actually it was somebody I inherited when I came here. And we took care of that very quickly, which again, churches would not do. And the camaraderie and the friendship and the love that exists within and always has, not just these men, but the previous men that exists between them and between me, they have been nothing but supportive. And no, not yes men, but just supportive and bringing up contrary views and opinions when it's needed to be. And yet at the end of the day, we would all walk out of every meeting and every major decision that had to come about, no matter where we stood on the issue, we went out of those doors absolutely together and unified for the sake of the mission of Christ. And God has blessed that, as you know. Finally, I'm going to ask you all to stand. This is for the body of faith in particular. And by the way, thank you. Thank you so much for the folks who are here today um, who used to come to faith uh, and just your faithfulness also in letting me know at how much this church has meant to you and truly changed your lives in so many different ways. And again, lest I forget a big, big thank you to Fran Newt, Dory's brother for being here all day yesterday and working on the technology to make certain things happen for this day. From the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I continue to pray. Father in heaven, you know what lays ahead. Already, you know everything that will transpire now in this whole transition for this great body of faith. And I so pray, Lord, for first and foremost to everybody here, that spirit of unity, that at the end of the day, there would be a a joyful unity around what will transpire and how it will transpire And who will be the next leader, Lord, of this great body here? And Father, the church has always been yours throughout history. And there is nothing that can come against it with any success, Lord. And the gates of hell, you have promised, will not prevail against it. 
we claim and declare that victory today. And let, oh God, your huge blessing of thanksgiving from me be upon their hearts now and in the days to come. Keeping the focus that you are to be first and foremost in all things that you will have preeminence in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing. We're going to sing.